0: find out on bird hugger the podcast for people who love birds join host katherine greenleaf who has been rehabilitating injured wildlife for 20 years and hear how you can turn your backyard into a native oasis for birds
1: there. And thank you so much for joining us for our special holiday edition of Bird Hugger. Things are getting pretty festive around here at Bird Hugger, and we're glad you could join in on the fun. 2021 was an exciting year with many new developments. We fine-tuned our equipment to create improved audio for the show. We introduced bonus episodes. We invited best-selling authors onto Bird Hugger to talk about environmental issues. And we launched our new newsletter and website, both of which contain lots of useful information about how to turn your yard into a native oasis for birds. And we've got even more in store for you in the coming new year. No matter how you celebrate, be it Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, or Diwali, here are our warmest wishes to all of you for a very happy holiday and an incredible new year. It's time to share a special heartwarming story that shows just how far people will go to help an animal in need. Recently, a husband and wife from Ireland were vacationing in New Zealand. They were walking along one of the country's remote beaches along the west coast when they came upon a tiny penguin. They knelt down to examine the penguin. He was motionless and lying on his side, wedged between rocks and sand and there was a large gash in his side that was bleeding. And so began an astonishing relay of love to save the injured bird. People who had never met before banded together to get the severely injured penguin the help he needed. The couple told Jerry McSweeney, the owner of the wilderness lodge where they were staying, about the bird they'd found. Jerry McSweeney carefully carried the penguin back to the lodge. There they met Jeff Marks, a tourism marketing manager who had happened to stop by the lodge to conduct business. He then offered to take the penguin and drove the bird, sitting in a cardboard box in the front seat of his car, nearly 100 miles. He delivered the bird to wildlife rehabilitator Anna Kraszewski. Anna and her medical team were able to stabilize the bird and make him comfortable for the night. The penguin had the telltale marks of a shark attack, and the bite wounds were severe. They would require surgery and sutures. The penguin would need specialized care they couldn't provide. He would need to be transported to a state-of-the-art wildlife hospital. The next morning, the bird was still stable. A team member prepared the penguin for travel and drove him 150 miles to Hokitika Airport. Airport officials worked together to get the penguin the first flight out. He was placed in a special carrier and was flown 200 miles over the Southern Alps to Christchurch. Then the penguin was driven by a volunteer to Christchurch Wildlife Hospital. Christchurch Wildlife Hospital was founded 14 years ago to provide state-of-the-art medical care to sick and injured birds. As it turns out, the new patient was a rare tawaki Fiordland crested penguin, there are fewer than 7,000 Tiwakis left in the world. Veterinarian Pauline Howard operated on the penguin, repairing his badly mangled feet and the large bite wounds on his back. With such severe injuries, the veterinarians gave the penguin a 50-50 chance of surviving the surgery. Yet, to everyone's surprise, the next morning, the penguin was in fine fettle, swimming in his therapy tank and eating lots of fish. Now on the road to recovery, Jerry, who was named after the owner of the Wilderness Lodge, will soon be released back into his home range in the Southern Ocean. Once there, he can catch up with the other Tawaki penguins just in time for their molting season in late January. It's astonishing how one small act of kindness builds upon another, creating a chain of love that delivers a bird into the capable hands it needs to survive. Now, I would call that a Christmas miracle. I would like to send a personal shout-out of thanks to everyone who joined together to save this penguin. May you have the happiest of holidays. Now it's time to take a look back with our annual year in review. It has certainly been an interesting year on Birdhugger. We have covered a lot of ground in the last 12 months, excuse the pun. We discussed the problem of invasive Asian jumping worms and the continuing threat they pose to our soils as they push northward into New England. We spoke with Heather Holm about the role bumblebees play in the native garden. We talked with Heather McCargo from Wild Seed Project about the best way to sow native seeds outdoors in the winter. We talked with Dr. Ben Killam about how he raises orphan black bear cubs so they can be released back into the wild. We learned how to identify old growth forest and how to protect it. We talked with a member of the Association of Professional Landscape Designers about the plastic recycling nightmare that is plaguing the U.S. gardening industry. We spoke with a number of experts about growing native trees and shrubs to benefit the birds. Specifically, we interviewed Dr. Doug Tallamy about how planting oak trees can triple and quadruple the amount of food offerings in the yard for birds. And mostly, we talked about all of the ways you can restore native habitat in your yard to benefit the birds. So what's coming up for the year 2022 on Bird Hugger? lots of new and exciting developments, which we will be revealing in the first few episodes of the new year. I would just like to take this moment to thank all of you who listen to Bird Hugger. Your comments, feedback, and questions are what keep us going, so keep them coming, and happy holidays to all of you. now let's talk about nature books for young people just in time for the holidays. What could be better than a mug of hot apple cider with a cinnamon stick, a blazing fire in the fireplace, a cozy chair, and a good book to read? Here are some wonderful new books about the natural world to give as gifts for the holidays sure to delight youngsters and teens alike. My Tiny Life by Ruby T. Hummingbird written by Paul Mizell published by Holiday House Publications. Children between the ages of four to eight will love following the enchanting diary entries of a feisty little hummingbird who chronicles his exciting experiences. From the time he hatches from the egg, to learning to fly for the first time, to his migration to Costa Rica, this book is accompanied by enchanting and colorful illustrations that bring this fiercely independent little bird's story to life. For teens, there is the book Diary of a Young Naturalist by Dara McAnulty, published by Milkweed Editions. This moving memoir from adolescent climate activist Dara McAnulty chronicles the passing of days in nature outside his Northern Ireland home near the Mourne Mountains. Each diary entry makes note of the trees, birds, insects, and mammals he witnesses and how his deep connection to the wild fuels the energy he pours into his global campaign to save the world. A BuzzFeed Best Book and winner of the UK's prestigious Wainwright Award for nature writing and adapted for young adults is The Story of More, How We Got to Climate Change and Where to Go From Here by Hope Jarren, published by Little Brown's Fleet Imprint. Award-winning scientist and teacher Hope Jaren gives an eye-opening yet hopeful look at our future as a planet and a species. As E.O. Wilson has said, Earth may be the only life-bearing planet within 10 light years, and by acting now to curb climate change, we can save ourselves and our beautiful home. As Ja Ren herself says, it's not a choice between decimation or preservation. The reality lies in the uncomfortable middle. And finally, I would be remiss if I did not add at least one book for adults. So next is the wonderful book, Finding the Mother Tree, Discovering the Wisdom of the Forest by Suzanne Simard, published by Knopf Publishers. Simard, an award-winning forest ecologist, has a true gift for describing the complex relationships trees have built between themselves for generations. In captivating language, she explains how trees recognize and perceive one another and adapt their behaviors to benefit the trees around them, working together as a cohesive community. And most importantly, she describes the mother trees, the powerful and beneficent female trees at the center of groves that feed and protect all of the others. Now I have the distinct pleasure of introducing children's book author Lisa Dosef. Lisa is the author of the award-winning book, Grandma Lisa's Humming, Buzzing, Chirping Garden, published by Pollination Press. This book is geared toward children between the ages of 5 to 10 and is full of charming illustrations of flower gardens. The book tells the rhyming story of Grandma Lisa and her grandchildren and how they plant and grow a native flower garden to benefit butterflies and their larva, only to excitedly discover their garden is benefiting all wildlife. The book details in a fun way the critical role insects play in pollination, in rebuilding the soil microbiome, and in providing vital protein for birds. Lisa is a National Wildlife Federation Habitat Steward in the Lancaster, Pennsylvania area. She co-founded a neighborhood garden club that focuses on creating beautiful pollinator gardens using native plants. She helps maintain native plantings at public gardens, local schools, and places of worship. Above all, Lisa is a grandmother who wants to see her grandchildren inherit a thriving, ecologically sound world. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us for our special holiday show. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm delighted to have you on the show. I just absolutely love your book. I love that it's for children. I love that it rhymes. I love the colorful illustrations. Please tell our listeners what motivated you to write this book.
2: Well, I've always been interested in gardening, and I've always been interested in working with children as well. And we moved to Pennsylvania seven years ago so that we could live near our grandchildren. So a few months after we moved here, I attended my first native plants in the landscape conference. And even though I'd been trying to garden for wildlife before, my eyes were really opened even more. And at the end of the conference, somebody asked, you know, you're preaching to the choir here. How do we get the message out? And so I knew at that point that I had to take some action. i went home and I knew I had to do something about it. And so I said a little prayer and the answer I got was change your own garden into a native habitat that you're willing to share with other people. Write a children's book, which is something I had never considered doing before. And then a few months later, I sat down at my computer one day and the book just flowed out and I pretty much had the bones of it. And uh, about a month later, I got together with my family and my sister said to me, "Well, why do we want bugs in our garden anyway?" when I read it to her. And so I wrote a few more paragraphs about that, and the book is the result of it.
1: That is great. Now, tell me about your own grandkids. Do they seem to understand the importance of native trees and plants?
2: They do. So, my own grandkids live about 10 minutes away from me, and so I'm I'm really fortunate that they can come visit pretty often. I'll say the book is really a reverse autobiography. We'd only been in our house a few months when I wrote the book, but I knew it was something I wanted to do with the grandchildren. And so we had inherited a garden that was a very traditional garden with non-native plants and some invasive species. And so I thought, you know, what better way to teach the grandkids than to just have them be a big part of this? And so they do, they come over pretty often and they just love the garden, but they do know about different plants. They know about different insects and birds and just little critters that we have around. And they're really interested in maintaining this habitat. So um, for instance, I'm I'm sitting here in my sunroom and looking out at some rose mallow, which is in seed right now. But we have a fire pit where we roast marshmallows. But my grandkids know that marshmallows originated from the rosemallow plant and the swamp mallow, that the roots of those plants were used to make marshmallows. And so we get an awful lot of opportunities to talk about all these things and some of the lore and just fun facts about all these things in nature. And they just gobble it up.
1: Right. So now when you talk to your own grandchildren, do you get the sense that the curriculum in their school is teaching about native plants, or is that something that really needs to
2: happen in the future? Well, you know, I'm not sure that that it is. I think that it does need to happen in the future, and I think it needs to happen across the board in the United States, but I'm really encouraged because last spring, the principal of our school called some state foresters out to the school And she wants to kind of start implementing a program where the kids can work on habitat and environmental things. And so she invited me to be a part of that. And, you know, because of COVID and so on, things are a little bit on hold, but I think it's going to move forward. So I'm thrilled. Yeah, that is great. Now, I have to say, I review
1: a lot of gardening books because of the show, and I have seen very few books for children that go into native plants the way yours does. So I think you are uh, starting a pioneering effort.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, and actually that's the reason that I did write it. It was, I love children's books and I love children's gardening books especially, but there really wasn't a book that I could find. There were books on how to create habitat and There were books giving instruction for schools to create habitat and so on. But there wasn't a storybook, a picture storybook that showed children being involved in the process themselves and having a great time doing it. And so I wanted to do that. And so I was able to start with the basics, remove invasive species and plant native plants, which is the bottom of the food chain. And then move into what that would attract. So the insects that attract the birds and going into the food web and so on. I'm very fortunate that I have a nephew who's an illustrator. And he was able to draw the pictures, which I am so pleased with the way they turned out. They are better than I could have even imagined. He's very, very detailed. But at the same time, I think they're just lively and fun and and very engaging. He's very talented. Those
1: are beautiful illustrations.
2: Thank you so much. I'm I'm really pleased with how they turned out.
1: Right. Now moving closer to be with your grandchildren, that's something a lot of grandparents are doing. Mm-hmm. And I think it's great, especially in cases like this where you know the parents are busy working and raising the kids, but the grandparents have that wonderful fun time with them without the work. <laughs> I would agree. Yes. And it's your chance to impart some wisdom to the kids, which includes what would be a a healthy functioning ecosystem in the
2: yard. Yeah, it, it really does. And we're very fortunate. We have about a half an acre and we live just outside of a small city. But even if you live in an apartment building, maybe you can ask the complex whether you can put some native plants around the sign or if you... Are, you know, I lived in New York City when I was younger for a little while and, you know, we just had sidewalk and, and building, but there's no reason you couldn't put a planter outside with permission from the town or something. But if you have a garden, no matter how small, window boxes, whatever, you can plant the elements that are needed to create Habitat garden. I mean, even on a window box, you can put in the native plants and maybe a little dish of water. And I mean, the possibilities are pretty endless. They really are. And kids love to be outside and they love to have their hands in the dirt. They really do. It's interesting. They say that children that are out in nature have better test scores, that if you have kids with ADHD, it calms them. I just think it really gives them a sense of belonging to a a bigger picture and that it fills them with a sense of awe and wonder. And, you know, they just love it. And, And the other thing I really like is, you know, we live in an age where people are concerned about climate change and the environment. And if you create habitat with children, it gives them a tangible opportunity to do something about it. They don't just have to worry about it or, think it's something that somebody else can can will take care of or should take care of. But you know, it's something that they can actually do and have an effect. You know, I think that goes a long way to helping them feel like they're part of the solution to some of the problems we're facing right now. Right. And it is utterly
1: magical, isn't it? Once you restore your backyard with native trees and plants, to see how much wildlife starts to come to your yard—the butterflies, the bumblebees, the songbirds, the opossums—they <laughs> just seem yeah. to—they uh, get the green light that this is the place to come to sustain themselves, and I—it it, is—it's entertaining for the kids, it's fun for the kids, and I have a dry erase board in the kitchen. And we write down the wildlife that we see. We have a long, long list right now because of course it's the end of the season. Oh, I
2: love that idea.
1: It's a great learning tool for them to go out and search for new species that we can put on our list.
2: I love that idea of having a aboard with the species that you see. We have great horned owls that took up residence in our yard the past couple of years. And I love the kids will come over in the evening and they'll hoot back and forth with the owls, you know, and then what they do is uh, in, we watch as the, ba- as the baby owls emerge sometime in January, they come out and they're all fluffy and they're really cute. And, um, but then the most fun thing is we look for owl feathers and then owl pellets. So the kids absolutely love to dissect owl pellets and find the little bones. In fact, the prize one year was one of the children found a squirrel skull totally intact. And, um, you know, and so they, I have one, my eight-year-old grandson just loves to take my computer and look up bird skeletons and squirrel skeletons, and he'll take all the little bones and try to match them. And anyway, it's just great fun. And we have a butterfly puddle, which originally I had in the ground, but it was a little muddy spot, which is great. But I had more success when I I made a butterfly puddle in an old bird bath that was pretty shallow. And the kids really loved working on that. So they'll come over and we'll put old fruit in there. And gosh, one funny story was, We saw them for the first time this Easter. Even though we live close because of the pandemic, we'd been not having much contact with them. But my husband and I were fully vaccinated by Easter, and so the day before Easter. So they came over in their Easter dresses and and little suits and so on. And we were doing an Easter egg hunt. As they were doing that, they found some deer droppings in the backyard. And knowing that the butterflies need the minerals from scat or manure and the salts and so on. They collected their eggs and then they ran and got their little trowels and they went and their shovels and they went and picked up all this deer scat and put it in their, in the butterfly puddling dish with their Easter finery on. And so it was really pretty cute. <laughs> that is great. That was part of our celebration that day. And, um, you know, it took several months before the butterflies showed up, but we were ready for them.
1: And it really gives children a sense of the
2: cycle of life and death, doesn't it? It really does. It really does. We have a compost pile and the kids, I mean, mostly it's just vegetative stuff that goes in. actually, that's all that goes in there is vegetative things in our compost, but they love digging through that and finding the pill bugs and the centipedes and all the other little organisms. My one granddaughter found a great big rhinoceros beetle one time and it, pinched her, but, you know, she, uh, you know, but they just love seeing the cycle of life and how things change. So, you know, it, it's, it's a great opportunity. It is. And I really like
1: how you handled the web of life section in your book, where you, you explain to the kids, you know, that hawks eat songbirds sometimes, and sometimes songbirds eat moths and butterflies. Was that a difficult passage to write? it really wasn't it's funny
2: i write my christmas cards in rhyme sometimes so i i like write, writing little poems and so on and i also used to write little poems to i homeschooled my a couple of my kids for a while and so i find and that's part of the reason i wrote the book in rhyme was i find if it's in rhyme or a little if you have a little song to go with it children remember the concept better and the fact that there are predators and preys is just a fact of life. And so, you know, I didn't have any qualms about putting that in the book. It's, I mean, children need to know that. And adults need to know that too. It's just the food web, right? That is such a great point. Now, tell me, what is your hope for the future? Oh gosh, my hope for the future. I see these children as part of my hope for the future. And I'll back up when I was a kid, I remember One of the big campaigns was no smoking. And so, you know, my dad used to smoke pipes and we kids would learn about this in school and then we'd come home and my dad stopped smoking because of what we kids came home telling him. And then I know maybe the next generation, it was about recycling, you know, so kids would learn about recycling at school and then their parents started recycling, and so my hope is that this generation of children who are faced with some pretty big challenges as far as the environment goes, will learn more about it at school and in homes and through my book, hopefully, and that they'll influence their parents and other adults. In fact, even though my book is written as a children's book, I kind of wanted the adults who read it to them to learn a few things as well. And so there's a little bit of an ulterior motive there. And I have to say that some of the adults that I've given the book to have told me, gosh, I didn't know this or I didn't know that. And some of them have said, you know, I'm going to rip out all that ivy on my hill or I'm going to start planting only natives. And so, you know, I'm encouraged. So I do have great hope that really within just a few years, this will become a topic that, I mean, I've already seen, in the last decade where it's become a more popular topic. And I think we just need to get the word out. I think once people realize what they can do and how easy it is and how much fun it is and how beautiful it can be too, they will jump on board. And I have great hope that we're going to see a big change in our environment.
1: I'd like to thank Lisa Dosef for joining us today. You can order her book, Grandma Lisa's Humming, Buzzing, Chirping Garden, by going to the Pollination Press website at pollinationpress.com or you can go to amazon.com. If you are enjoying this show and like what we do, please help us out by subscribing or following us on your favorite app to access our free show. That way you'll get notified of what's coming, you'll never miss a show, and it will help us in the ratings.
0: Join Americans everywhere in the One-Third for the Birds movement. Dedicate the back third of your yard to birds and other wildlife. Make this area a quiet zone with no leaf blowers or lawnmowers. Plant native trees and shrubs so birds have plenty of insects to eat. Create a safe haven for birds to nest and raise their young. You will be rewarded with many hours of bird watching fun. For more information on One-Third for the Birds, go to the Bird Hugger page on Facebook.
1: for our special holiday episode of Bird Hugger. Thank you so much for joining us. Here's wishing everyone a warm, safe, and happy holiday season and a wonderful new year.